Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. So, and evidently, Jesus was not very much interested in ministry to the Canaanites. Jesus, not interested. Evidently, Jesus was just not very much interested in ministry to the Canaanites. And while that might sound surprising and perhaps even alarming to say, that evidently he was not very much interested in ministry to the Canaanites, once we get over the initial discomfort it brings, it really shouldn't surprise us all that much. Because they were Canaanites. Because Canaanites. You see, the Canaanites were the historical enemy of Israel from the very beginning. Israel had waged war on the Canaanites as they were entering the promised land. That's how early the warfare began. And ever since then, there was animosity and hostility between the people of Canaan and the people of Israel. I mean, the most famous conflict between Israel and Canaan was the one that included David and Goliath, Goliath the Canaanite. Canaanites and Israelites were historical enemies. And more than that, their religious practices were abhorrent to the Jews. Couldn't be more different. I mean, to start, the Canaanites were polytheistic. That is, they worshipped multiple gods, and they worshipped those gods in the form of idols. But of particular offense were the religious practices that included fertility rites. Temple prostitution was an essential component, an essential part of the Canaanite religion. And they even went so far as to periodically sacrifice children to their gods. So the Canaanites were a people long disdained by the Jews, and I should say it was reciprocal. They disdained the Jews. They didn't much like the Jews. And so, and evidently, Jesus himself was not very much interested in ministry to the Canaanites. Or to say it another way, the Canaanites were evidently not Jesus' target audience. The Canaanites were not the demographic that Jesus wanted to reach. Of course, the reason I'm saying that today is because of the gospel we read, because Jesus said so himself to his disciples in the gospel we read, Matthew 15, 24. Jesus said it, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. There you go. There you go. The lost sheep of Israel were Jesus' target audience. And of course, the, Jesus didn't have to convince the disciples that the Canaanites were not Jesus' target audience, because it was the disciples that told Jesus to send this bothersome Canaanite woman away to start with. Send her away. She keeps bothering us. She keeps crying out after us. And it was in response to the disciples telling Jesus to do that, that Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So the disciples knew that ministry to the Canaanites was not what they were to be about. But they also knew it not only because of what Jesus said to them here, it's what Jesus said to them when he commissioned them to do the ministry he was doing earlier, earlier, in, in five, five chapters before Matthew 15 and Matthew 10. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. So when the disciples said what they said, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. They weren't being mean or insensitive, insensitive necessarily. They were simply following Jesus' previous instruction. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. 
And I think we can understand why. I mean, in addition to them being a people the Israelites almost instinctively didn't like, there was just a practical consideration of how best to advance the kingdom. The disciples were simply prioritizing the mission which Jesus had told them to do. I mean, think what you have to do, right? He can't reach everybody. So I'll say it again, evidently the Canaanites were not the demographic that Jesus wanted to reach. Evidently the Canaanites were not the target audience. And he not only indicated that to his disciples when he commissioned them, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel in Matthew 10. And they not only reaffirmed it when his disciples told Jesus to send the woman away, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He said it to the woman herself when she came and knelt in front of him and asked him to help her. He said to her, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Well, there you go. It's pretty clear. Those Canaanites were not who Jesus wanted to reach. It's even more clear that this evidently was the case if you take into consideration the context, which frankly I have never done until this week. Do you know what Jesus was doing right before he went to Tyre and Sidon, which was Canaanite territory, and do you know what he did immediately afterwards? This is what Jesus was doing before he told the Canaanite woman that it wouldn't be right to heal her daughter. This is what Jesus was doing, Matthew 14. When they had crossed over the Sea of Galilee, they landed again at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the end of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Well, that's what Jesus was doing right before he went into the land of the Canaanites. He was healing people, and not just one person. He was healing multitudes. And this is what Jesus did when he returned to the land of Israel from the land of the Canaanites. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee, Israeli territory, and then he went up the mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. He healed people, not just one person, lots of people. So he was more than willing to heal the multitudes of people who were descendants of Abraham before this one Canaanite woman asked for healing, and he was more than willing to heal multitudes of people who were descendants of Abraham after this one Canaanite woman asked for healing for her daughter, but evidently not willing to heal a single demon-possessed daughter of a Canaanite. And it's pretty clear. Those Canaanites were not the people Jesus wanted to reach. They weren't the target audience. And as I said before, there were good reasons for Jesus' strategy of targeting the Jewish people and not anyone else. I want us to consider for a minute. Do you know how much work it would have been to minister to a people who had no knowledge of the Jewish faith? I mean, they wouldn't have had any idea of a need for a Messiah. Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. The Canaanites were not looking for a Messiah. And the Canaanites, as I said, were not monotheistic. They didn't believe in one God. They believed in many gods, and they certainly didn't have the sexual ethic of the Hebrew people because they didn't have the Ten Commandments. Jesus could never have preached the Sermon on the Mount to the Canaanites. You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you, the Canaanites would have said, well, no, as a matter of fact, we have not heard that it was said. I mean, think of the Ten Commandments. They broke almost all of them. As I said, they didn't serve one God, number one. They made idols, number two. They invoked the names of their gods to 
coerced their gods into answering their prayers. That was their religious practice, number three. They obviously didn't observe the Sabbath because they didn't believe that God created, number four. They didn't honor their mothers and fathers appropriately. No, they kind of, (laughs) they worshiped them as ancestral deities. They sacrificed children, so they murdered, number six. And their religion included sexual practices that were obviously and necessarily adulterous. That's seven out of 10. Now, I don't know if they stole or bore false witness or coveted. Don't know about those. But seven out of 10 is not so hot. In short, they had no idea the nature or character of Jesus' faith tradition. They were ignorant of the Jewish faith. So do you know how much work it would have been, how labor-intensive it would have been if Jesus had to minister to the Canaanites? Frankly, he just didn't have that kind of time. Furthermore, forget the work of teaching them the things of God. Think about the time it would have taken to build a bridge to the historical enemy, to their historical enemy. I mean, the animosity between the Canaanites and the Jews was deep and wide. The amount of time it would have taken for Jesus as a Jew just to be heard, let alone what he would say, that would have taken forever. So there was good reason for Jesus and the disciples deciding on a target audience of the Jewish people, much more effective and productive. But there's at least one more consideration. Let's say that Jesus did have an effective ministry among the Canaanites. It might have just been too much to expect Canaanites and Israelites to worship together after all those hostile animosities. I mean, trying to blend two peoples into a single group of Christ worshipers, that's a lot of work. All that to say, I think we can understand why those Canaanites were not Jesus' target audience, why they were not the demographic that Jesus wanted to to reach, just not an effective strategy. Thus, Matthew 10, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Thus, Matthew 15, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Thus, Matthew 15, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. There you go. Now, I know where some of you are wanting me to go. I know where you've been going in your heads. I know what you're thinking, some of you, and have been thinking. You've been wanting to run ahead to the end of the story. I know that's where some of you are going. You're wanting and have been wanting to remind me that Jesus healed the Canaanite woman's daughter. He didn't just ignore her. He healed her daughter at her request. Some of you want to get to the end of the story right away. But before we get there, I just want to make sure we all understand that what I'm telling you is what Jesus himself said for the fourth time so that I know we understand to his disciples at their commissioning, do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. To the disciples' response to them telling him to send the Canaanite woman away, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel and to the Canaanite woman herself. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Just saying. They're not the demographic, not the target audience. But of course, we have to read the rest of the story. We'll go where some of you have been wanting me to go for a bit now. But Jesus healed her daughter. Pastor, you have to tell the rest of the story. He didn't send her away. He did what she asked. Yes, he did. Finally, we might say. But I'm want to say the reason for getting her daughter healed might have been more about her than even about Jesus. She's a remarkable woman. 
To begin with, she knew who Jesus was. Matthew 15, 22. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. She confessed him as Lord, as the son of David. She knew who he was, and not only that, when the disciples told Jesus to send her away, the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And the word translated as knelt in our NIVs is a word that connotes worship, which is how some versions translate it. Then she came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, help me. So this Canaanite woman recognized Jesus as Lord. Now, we don't know how, and we don't know when. We just know that she did. But she's, more, she, but she's remarkable for more than just that, which Jesus acknowledged. Her confidence, her trust, her faith refused to let her take no from the Lord as a final answer. When Jesus said it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, she answered her Lord, knowing Jesus better than those disciples knew Jesus. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Who has that kind of faith to talk back to the Lord? She did. Which Jesus then commended. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Canaanite woman, you have great faith. So yes, Jesus healed her. But a fair reading of the text, it sure didn't look like he wanted to. Okay, so what's going on here? I don't know. And I know I'm supposed to know. I know I'm supposed to know. But I don't. At least I don't know for sure. I mean, this passage raises a whole lot of questions. I mean, did Jesus really not want the Canaanites to be a part of his kingdom? Did he think that it would compromise the gospel if the Canaanites believed? That his gospel was for the children of Israel and not the Canaanite dogs? I mean, did he not know that all people were eventually going to be involved in the kingdom, invited into the kingdom? I mean, it's hard to imagine that any of those questions could be true of our Lord. So I'm not going to go where some are willing to go and speak with any amount of dogmatic certainty regarding this text. Sometimes God's ways are higher than our ways, and we might just want to withhold opinions about some things. We don't have to know everything God knows. But I do want to suggest a possibility, which isn't just mine, but which many others suggest. What Jesus could be doing is revealing the obvious sin of discrimination by being apparently discriminating himself. I want you to track that with me. See, because it becomes more uncomfortably obvious precisely because Jesus is the one doing it. So he could be doing that, 
But he could be doing something even more. He could be revealing the sin of discrimination that's sometimes justified for the sake of mission. Discrimination of some for the sake of mission? Is that even a thing? Do people do that? Well, let's acknowledge this much. We're surprised by Jesus here. I mean, this is not the Jesus we know. And of course, what makes us uncomfortable is Jesus, is Jesus not healing a Canaanite because she was a Canaanite. That's what is surprising to us because we don't like the Jesus who said, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And we, don't, we certainly don't like the Jesus who said, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I mean, that's what we have a hard time figuring out here, yes? But let's get into the disciples' head. Let's get into the disciples' heads who are witnessing this for the first time. They would not have been surprised that Jesus was not interested in healing this Canaanite woman's daughter. That would have made perfect sense to them. No, what would have surprised those Jewish disciples would have been what happened. What would have surprised those Jewish disciples is that Jesus did heal this Canaanite woman's daughter. I mean, they weren't at all surprised that Jesus would say, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, and they weren't surprised that he said it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That made perfect sense to them. I mean, they're the ones who told Jesus to go away in the first place. No, what would have surprised and alarmed the disciples is that Jesus healed her and commended her faith. Canaanite people having faith? Because that would have messed up their understanding of the kingdom. They would have had to consider, in light of Jesus commending her faith and healing her daughter, those disciples would have had to consider that maybe the kingdom included the likes of her. So maybe Jesus is making the point by being as they were instead of by being as he was. Because as we know, and we know this, everyone is Jesus' target audience. Everyone is Jesus' demographic, for God so loved the world. The disciples' conclusion at the end of this encounter was unequivocally, well, yes, as a matter of fact, the kingdom of God includes the likes of her. Wow. So, and evidently, Jesus' mission wasn't restricted to the lost sheep of Israel after all. It included the Canaanite woman too. And as I think about it, it didn't just include her, it included a Samaritan woman and the entire town of Samaritans that were converted because of her testimony. And it, it occurred to me that it also included a Roman soldier at the cross. And it included a Roman centurion whose son Jesus healed. And even among the lost sheep of Israel, I mean, they were quite the disparate, diverse flock. Jesus' mission included in his inner circle a Jewish zealot, a right-wing patriot named Simon, 
And it also included a Jew who collaborated with the government named Matthew. And Jesus' mission included the poor, of course, but you know it also included the rich? Think Zacchaeus. Think of Joseph of Arimathea. Think of Nicodemus. And you know, Jesus' mission included children, so much so that Jesus reprimanded his disciples for thinking otherwise. And dare I say it, Jesus' mission included the elderly. God has a soft spot in his heart for the elderly, if as often as they are used by him is any indication. Think Simeon holding baby Jesus. Think Hannah holding baby Jesus. Think Moses who was 70 when he was called. And of course it includes young people. Think Timothy. And as I've already said, it fully includes women as well as men. The first proclaimers of the Lord's resurrection were women. They were the first preachers. You see, it turns out that Jesus' gospel doesn't have a target audience after all. It turns out that Jesus is not simply interested in a single demographic. His kingdom is to include all. His kingdom includes all. Which means what? It includes all of us. And if his kingdom is to include all, can I say this? Dare I say this? His church is to include all. Because the church is to signal, is to signal the nature of the kingdom. And if our churches are filled with people who only look like us, then we're not reflecting the nature of the kingdom. mission strategy of churches is to target one demographic, then, then we're not reflecting the gospel. Let our churches be reflective of the kingdom. May it include all and may it include a whole lot of folk that don't look like us. Let the churches include all. So it turns out Jesus' gospel doesn't have a target audience after all. Jesus isn't simply interested in a single demographic. His kingdom includes all. The richest and beauty of the church is God's people in all their differences, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. And so the Lord instituted a ritual that for, you know, 1,500 years the church did every Sunday. And to many churches do it every Sunday. And it is the, it is the embodiment of the gospel every 
every Sunday. And this morning, don't, don't start sharing it yet. You're getting ahead of me. You're passing it down. Don't be, we haven't said grace, okay? You got to wait to eat. Don't be passing them down yet. Just hold them. I want us to do it a little differently this morning because Jesus knew that that his church wasn't to be an event. He knew his church was to be a community and no better community than sitting around the table eating together. So we have the potlucks. We think it's just like convenient or because we get good food. No, it's symbolic of the kingdom. Symbolic of the, of the nature of the kingdom where people who not, may, may not even know each other very well are willing to sit down and eat with one another. Fellowship around a table is some of the best fellowship. We get to do it every Sunday here. We, we are at the Lord's table together. And it means, it, 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 it contains the entire gospel. But this morning, what I want it to symbolize is our communion with him, which brings us into community with each other. We don't take the sacrament alone. We never take the sacrament alone. We always take it together. We're at the table together, and our Lord is at the center, and we're gathered around him. And because we're gathered around him, we're with each other. So this morning, and if you have, if you have the little thing, it's easy. You just peel off the... Do the bread first. Don't be doing it yet. I mean, no, no. And if you have one, well, I, just put it back. So this is what I want us to do. We have time. It's only 1130. We've done all this in an hour so far. What I want you to do this morning is evidence the community of faith that we are a part of by taking the sacrament to someone who doesn't look like us. I want you to get up and we do the meet and greet thing, you know, early and you just kind of wander around. I want you to take the sacrament to someone who doesn't look like you. Not, maybe not the same age, maybe not the same gender, maybe not the same race, maybe not the same nationality. You go to someone who doesn't look like you and you evidence the community of faith that those who confess Jesus Christ are by sharing it with them. And, you know, someone may come up to you and take the one that you were given, so you just share it again. It's okay. You may, you may share the sacrament like five or six times this morning before it's all over. But take it to someone who doesn't look like you. So let's do that. Let's stand together. I'll give you about four minutes to share the sacrament. Has to be someone who doesn't look like you.
Now we're we're this we're just sharing the sacrament, okay? We're not we're not planning the schedule this next week. We're not getting together. We're just doing the sacrament. symbol of our Lord's body and blood. You, you may have a seat. You may have a seat. It's easier to eat sitting down than standing. On the night in which our Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks. He broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he gave thanks. The Greek is Eucharist, gave thanks. He gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And ever since then, followers of Jesus have been doing the same. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for providing us food. Uh, thank you for giving us a visible and tangible reminder of our need of you and that our life comes from you. And thank you, Lord, for insisting that this not be a, a private devotional exercise, but that it was to be done among your people, with your people, around a big table. And Lord, thank you for the visible evidence of community that happened just a minute ago among friends and between strangers. And I am confident that if your message will reach a lost people, it will be because of the nature of the kingdom that is revealed through your church. And so, Lord, now we eat this bread and drink this juice as a symbol of our communi communion with you. And, Lord, we confess as we take it we need you. You need your life. We need your nourishment. We need you to sustain us. So we receive this, Lord, and in the sacrament, would you make us one again, even as you, the Father, and Spirit are one. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you, for you. May it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ shed for you 
May it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ died for you. And let us be grateful. So, Father, Jesus, Spirit, three in one, we have received the sign of you into ourselves. May we remember all week that we have eaten at your table. And may the symbol of your life, your body and blood, remind us to draw our strength from you continuously. May it remind us, Lord, that we are at one with others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbonnais, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.